My name is Manal Sharif. Uh, I work at the Arabian Oil Company as IT specialist, and I'm from Saudi Arabia. Okay. So tell me a little bit about um, about Saudi Arabia and, and some of the restrictions for women. I know, you know, in the United States um, or around the world, people believe that it's illegal for women to drive. Is that true? The situation of women in Saudi Arabia regarding driving, uh, we'd be lied to all these years. Myself, I thought uh, it's illegal to drive, myself. And I found out by chance uh, in 2011, while I was very frustrated with, uh, I almost got kidnapped because I can't drive. And reading the traffic police law, there is nothing says you cannot drive. Even if you uh, hear all the officials when they speak to the media, and they ask him why women can't drive in the country, they say it's a, it's, a, it's a society thing. It's not up to us, it's up to the society. So it would be light twice. It's a political thing, it's not a society thing, as the series of events that happened last year proved, and there is no law. So why are you fighting for, for women to have the right to drive? And maybe you could tell us a little bit about exactly what you did, how you decided to do it, and then the steps that you took to so, when it started, it started as uh, it was a personal frustration because, as I told you, I, I was almost get kidnapped from the street. I have a driver license and I have a car, but uh, I cannot drive it. I had that car uh, when I was married, so I had a driver at that time. But uh, being divorced, I cannot have a driver in the house, so I had to let him go, and the, the car is there. Uh, so it was a personal frustration, and, and it's impossible because in cities there are no public transportation, there are no sidewalks for pedestrians, so they are not pedestrian cities. So they're bound to use a car. A woman like me, the only choice she had is using taxis. And you have no clue the kind of harassments that we go through, the amount of money that we pay for those people, private drivers. So it was more into, it's not illegal. Officials say it's a society thing. So why not, we're not driving. So it was all started from a personal pain because of that thing. What have we been doing? Um, so it was, again, it was inspired by the Egyptian revolution. I saw those uh, young uh, people making YouTube videos and calling for a day to go and protest. In Saudi Arabia, we are not allowed to protest. You could just put in jail for 10 years if you protest. So the only solution we had is individual act. Uh, we'll start uh, this campaign. We started in May 3rd, and we said we, we will start making women aware because awareness comes first. If you're not aware of your rights, you will be stripped out of these rights, and you will never call. You will think it's... It's not your right. Um, so when we called uh, for this day, June 17th, I had to make a video and explain what is June 17th, what is expected from these, expected from these women. If you have a driver license, because we didn't want to end up with accidents, use your car starting June 17th. Because there is no law, officials say it's a society thing. So from May 3rd until June 17th, we were campaigning for that. Uh, uh, Najla Hariri, she was the first woman to declare that she drove and no one stopped her. She was on TV. And Najla, she was one of the people that inspired me. I said, if no one stopped me, she talked on TV, that means the authorities, who kept very silent, they will 
allow this to happen. So I had to try it myself. But uh, because they arrested me and put me in jail, that was uh, like a setback for us. Go back a little bit and explain the campaign. How did you organize it? What did you do? Explain Mm -hmm. it like we don't know anything about it. So uh, Women to Drive, it was a very spontaneous thing when we started. We started uh, as a Facebook event, the saying June 17, we will drive by ourselves. And we put a survey and we asked all, like it was uh, the sample we had like three days, we had 1,200 respondents, women, asking them, would you drive June 17? 84% said yes. 11% 11% only had driver's license. So the problem was how to teach those women how to drive. So we started calling their, their family, male family members to teach women how to drive. We did it ourselves. We started teaching girls how to drive. So we had this, uh, like a form online where people go sign in their name as an instructor or as someone who wants to learn because there are no schools to teach girls how to drive. We were trying uh, also to explain uh, in the video, we were trying to explain uh, who we are because online, uh, when it comes to women inside Arabia, we have no names, we have no faces. Uh, And if you call for such a campaign, people will not respond if they don't know who are behind this campaign. So we came with our real names, and that's like for for the society, society, there was a breakthrough. People, women, don't show up with their faces or real names. Uh, we break that. We we broke that taboo. There was a good thing. I came in a video and um, I was just there talking about June 17. We will drive, and I was answering some questions that we've been receiving about June 17. Um, so I think that created the credibility who we are. Uh, we are real people, and uh, explaining to women. Uh, through the social media, making all these YouTube videos, uh, our Facebook page. One of my friends said, why don't you start Twitter? I never used Twitter. I used it in 2009, and I didn't like the 140 characters. And I'm just like, I don't think Twitter will will work. And he said, do you know that scientists are now moving from Facebook to Twitter? They're like one of the top uh, nations in the Arab world who are using Twitter. So that night, we sat together for, th- for 30 minutes. He explained what's Twitter to me, and he opened an account with me, and he showed me how to create hashtags. In the first week, we got 2,000 followers on the Women to Drive uh, account. And that's in Twitter is huge. Like, you, you just get like 100, 200. Uh, some people spend a year, and they don't reach the 1,000. Uh, because we're very smart. Uh, we used to go and ask people to retweet our tweets, uh, famous people with so many followers. Using social media is the one that, like, one of the things that made this happen. Uh, but using the social media alone wasn't enough to call for action because you can just be sitting there behind the, the screen and talking to people. Someone had to be in the street and take an action. So using social media alone would not work without taking action in the, on the field. Um, uh, so when we called, we explained uh, what we want. It uh, should be individual act. And uh, my arrest, I think, just changed all the... The whole plan was changed after my just arrest. Just explain that day, though, that day that June 17th, you, know, you get in your car... You videotape yourself. Just explain, like, step by step exactly what you did. 
you know, we decided that June 17th would be the day, June 17th, right? That we, you know, that I would get in my car, I would videotape it, I would, you know, put it on, um, you put it on YouTube. Just explain to us step by step what you did, and then explain to us step by step what happened as a result. So uh, when we when we started talking on, on Twitter, people started knowing about us. I started making phone calls with all the people I know from the media, people online who are known for their activism. I uh, started uh, trying to meet those people. I met lots of them, uh, trying to uh, lobby, create uh, this uh, uh, circle of trust. People trust us, people know who we are, so they go, when it's like an event, they talk about us. Uh, the local media, we didn't know that there is uh, uh, a rule, not a rule, it's, um, they cannot, the local media, they cannot talk about women driving. It's one of the issues they can, they're not allowed. They're banned from talking about. We didn't know this. We know this when uh, I talked to uh, a reporter. She's a journalist, works in, uh, in Al-Hayat newspaper. Her name is Jumana Khoja. And she, three times she writes an article, she submitted to the newspaper, and it gets rejected. So we were there stuck for 17 days trying to get anyone write about us in the media. No one was. I, I sent a press release. I wrote a press release in Arabic and English, and I sent it to 350 uh, journalists, reporters, activists. I got zero response. 350. I met all these people. Some people sit with me and say, uh, one of the, the women I talked to, she's a media person, and I asked her to help us to get our voice heard. She's from my same family. She said, do not bring disgrace to the family name. She said that to me. And she just hung up. Uh, so I went around and I talked to this woman. She's an activist. Uh, I brought her to my house. We were sitting together explaining our, our plan. And she said, you with your uh, uh, webcam uh, videos and your uh, iPhone videos, do you think you're going to make it? You're not going to make it. No one knows about you. And I'm not going to put my name on things that like not professional. Like We're, we're like normal people. We have no support, no money to go and, and create those videos with professional crew. We just used our webcams, our, my iPhone, my video driving was with my iPhone. Uh, so we've been faced with that, like they ignored us totally. Uh, the, the thing that changed everything was uh, through Twitter, Atika Sherbet from CNN, she contacted us. And she said, this is a very interesting story. I want to talk about it. We're so excited. This is the first time one of the media wants to talk about us, women to drive. And uh, we record the video through Skype, the, the interview through Skype. And it was supposed to be aired like a week. And it was late because it was that time was Libya revolution. Uh, the day it was aired, we announced about it. Uh, that was May 17th. One of the local news wrote about May 17th us. May seventeenth or June seventeenth. May seventeenth. Okay. There was a month before it was aired about it. It was aired on CNN, uh, and I talked about us. We are Saudi women. Uh, we're not against. We love our country. We're not here to protest. We're not here to demonstrate. We just want to practice a, a simple, basic right, the right of mobility. I said that in the interview. It was very basic, but it was in English. There was another problem because we needed someone in Arabic to come and ask us to interview. That day, it was, inter it was aired. Everything changed. The media wanted to talk to us. Uh, they wanted to know about women to drive. 
So, so it's not only Twitter and it's not only putting these things on YouTube. This is to get normal people know about it, but you reach very few number of people. Once we moved to CNN talked about us, that was huge. Like everyone started talking about us. Everyone started hearing about June 17, what women gonna do. Uh, one of the girls in the group, uh, she told me her daughter, she's in uh, elementary school, she said the girls in the school today were talking about June 17 and women will drive. So we created this buzz, the town talk, people talking about women will drive. So it's kind of the taboo, breaking the taboo that was the hardest thing because women driving is like, you don't talk, it's like the devil, the, un, the unspoken. You cannot talk about that. You'll get attacked, you'll be called names. Uh, I've been called names like whore. I've been called names like uh, prostitute, just for calling for women driving. And imagine my son hear these things about me and my family, that really hurts because they just go and attack your reputation. But we continued um, on Facebook page. Before I get arrested, we had over 120,000 people invited because it was event. So invite people, 120,000. The, the girls, when I was in jail, they had to, for my own safety, because they, when I was arrested, there were no charges against me. We had no clue what they were gonna do to me and the team. So our names were there and the girls really got panicked. So they had to close the page, or delete the event from Facebook. They deleted it. So we lost everything. One of the girls, Rachel Malki, she is a college student. She's like 21. She said, no, we're not gonna call off June 17. And she opens the page, another one. And it got 28,000 uh, likes in, in less like uh, than two weeks. And in that page, they said, we're not going to stop by the arrest. We will not stop by the arrest of Manan al-Sharif. The Twitter account, uh, two people had the password, me and uh, uh, one of the team. He's a guy. So he changed the name from Women to Drive to Free Manan. He didn't, and he put the YouTube channel on, on private. But people already get the, the movie. Let me tell you about the movie before my arrest. So I heard Najla, she, she signed up with us to teach girls how to drive. And Najla, she is uh, uh, born 67. So for us who were like very young people and this lady, she's mature and she is uh, a mother, we're so happy that uh, someone like her would step in and help us in the campaign to uh, teach me how to drive to protect me. That's the campaign of teaching women how to drive. She told us, for three days I've been driving and no one arrested me and no one talked to me in Jeddah. We're amazed. Like, this is happening. That means it's like a, a green sign from the authorities because authorities in Saudi Arabia, they just keep, they ignore you. Until they only take, they only take action, uh, uh, react. They don't act. They only react. Uh, so you can talk all, the, you, all you want. Once you take action, uh, they'll take uh, reaction. They never, um, whenever you talk, they would never respond to you. So I asked Najla to videotape herself. But Najla, she said, I drive alone with my kid. No one can videotape me. Because Najla, I told her, Mr. Najla, people would not believe until they see that you've been really driving in the street and no one stopped you. It wasn't like they told us the min wolf will come and eat you. She couldn't. So I called my brother and I said, Thursday, uh, after the interview was aired tw Tuesday, 
So I tell my brother, Thursday, and he created really positive, uh, and the local media talked about us. So it was just like, that's another green light. I asked my brother to videotape me while I'm driving, but he overslept that day. So I go around, no one is crazy enough to go to the city uh, and videotape a woman driving in the city. That never happened. So I was looking around. One of the women I was talking when I was campaigning or lobbying was Wajih al and she works in Aramco, and she lives in the compound where I live. So she was like my last resort. No one is crazy enough to go out with me and videotape me. And a woman, I can't take a man. There are lots of uh, uh, colleagues I can ask. But if Hayya, uh, Hayya is the religious police, caught us, I'll be in, I'll be in a moral, uh, I'll be a criminal. It's, it will be something against morality because I'm with a man alone. So she comes with me uh, and she videotaped me just using my iPhone. And it was normal. It was really normal. We were just driving. People look at me, and I was I was I was the one harassing them because I keep looking at them and I want to see their reaction. And he just looked at me. He can't believe there's a woman driving, and he just continued his road. No one talked to me. I've been driving there for like a two two hours. We went to three different places. No one talked to us. We passed by the police uh, uh, station two times, waiting for them to stop us. No one talked to us, and that was like amazing. I couldn't believe that. It just went fine. When I went back, posted it online, it got 700,000 views in just one day, less than one day. Uh, it was Saturday, I posted it on Friday, Saturday, I was, I was in my office just working, and my, my colleague who told me about there is no law against women driving, he came to me and he said, Manal, I saw you, the video you posted on YouTube. I'm like, wow, really, you're following us. And he said, it's the most viewed on YouTube. I'm like, you're kidding me, right? Why? It's a woman driving. I didn't realize that it would create this impact, that people would not believe there is a woman driving in Saudi Arabia. For me, it's really ridiculous. And I go, and I found it in the trend number one in the world, not in Saudi Arabia. And that really amazed me. And I see like 60 to 70% at that day of the responses were very offensive dislikes, like 60 to 70 dislikes, percent of the likes. It was dislikes. And I see people from uh, Australia saying, like, I don't understand why people would dislike this video. It's just a woman driving. I understand nothing what she says, but I only see a woman d- driving. So the, the rest of the world didn't, didn't understand what's going on inside Arabia. And the society, I was talking about very generic thing, why it's important to teach women how to drive to protect themselves for emergency. It was very basic, like conversation between two friends going out on a normal day. I tried to make it normal. Uh, I was very relaxed driving around and I didn't know the reaction. It would be very uh, offensive. It's just a woman driving, that's it. So, I talk to my brother and I say, so no, no one called me from the police, no one called me from the secret police. Let's try again uh, and drive because I want to know the reaction of authorities because women will drive to 17. We don't know what's going to happen. Uh, when it comes to these things like campaigning or calling for things, huge things like that inside Arabia, you get hurt severely. They could... They could do bad things to you, really. Uh, and you don't expect. It's not expectable. Like, you cannot expect what they will do. Uh, 
So someone had to go and, and, and take the risk, drive by a police car and see what are usually, they give them secret uh, uh, instructors, uh, instructions, like what to do in these cases. So I wanted to know what is the, what, what is the secret instructions that have been given to them how to deal with a woman driving. Usually in Saudi Arabia, if you drive and they stop you, they just take it to the police. You sign a pledge not to drive ever again. That's it. Mine was in Twitter when they stopped me. So people started tweeting about it. I talked to a friend when they stopped me and I said, I've been arrested uh, and I don't know what's going to happen. Put that on Twitter. So people on Twitter started talking. Well, complicated things is when the one of the citizens... He stopped and he was asking the, the officer, like, who's that woman in the driving seat, in the driver's seat? And he told him my name. And that guy with, with beard, he's Mutawwa. He realized this is Banana Sharif, the one that's calling for June 17, and he calls the religious police. Very interesting thing in Saudi Arabia, anyone can call the religious police. You can just call them and say, I've seen something uh, immoral. And they go and they arrest, based on a, yes, a citizen witness. So everyone can be everyone's a spy of, on anyone. That's why you never feel safe in Arabia. Um, so he calls, and 10 minutes later, the religious police come over, and they, two hours, they, they insulted us, they shouted at us, they tried to put me in their car, and I totally refused. I said I didn't commit a crime. There's nothing in the law that says I can't drive. And this is my brother, he's with me, he's a family, he's my guardian. They require a guardian. But uh, they took it really like extreme. We spent six hours in the police station. They couldn't. They didn't know what to do with us. So that was very clear. With all this randomness, uh, there are no instructions. They didn't know how to deal with us, a woman driving. And they just kept asking, like, why couldn't you wait? Why couldn't you wait for June 17? And I'm like, wow. Okay, is there a secret instructions or not? So it's, it was kind of like mystery to us. Did they want us to just drive June 17 without problems? And in, the, in this decades of decades of women cannot drive uh, without being uh, attacked and under fire by religious people like the government. So we were like, we couldn't, uh, we couldn't tell what's in their mind. Six hours, uh, I signed the pledge. I refused to sign the pledge, but I signed it anyway because they said, you'll be in the detention if you don't sign it. I had to sign it and leave. I had my son waiting for me in the house. I go there, 12 a.m., he's sleeping. 2 a.m., they come and arrest me again. And I had no clue why. Until today, I have no clue why they arrested me. They had no warrant with them, and nothing interrogated with me until 11. By 2 p.m. the next day, I was sent to jail with no charges, with nothing, I understood nothing. I asked to, see my, to talk to my lawyer. I asked to talk to my son. They refused. They didn't allow me. The good thing, the next day, the, the media caught that because I talked that night to CNN again. Atika, I kept her number and I called her 3 a.m. She's in UK. She replied back to me. And I said, Atika, there are people outside the secret police. I have no clue where they're taking me. Put this in the news. And she writes a breaking news. And she put it that night, 4 a.m., where I was sent to interrogation and then jail. So that helped a lot too, getting it, being able to call someone in the news and getting your story heard. Again, I told her I, I, I built this trust relationship because she knew me, but if she didn't know me and she got this anonymous phone call, I don't think she would do it. 
so one of the things I always tell uh, the girls who I, I'm afraid they are uh, they they could get hurt. So uh, when I was taken to the police station to sign a pledge not to drive again on the Saudi lands, I asked him, uh, "I'm not violating any law, so why I'm signing this pledge?" He said, "You violated Urf, which is culture norm." in Saudi Arabia. And the one who said that was the head of the traffic uh, police. Uh, he's a surgeon. And that was for me enough. I said, thank you. I'll take this, that there is no law, and it's Urf that I violated. I'll take this as a testimony from you. So now I think it would be good to talk about the fact that, you know, this is not just about giving yes, women that's good. the right to drive. Yes, this is it's good. It's really about a larger yes. set of rights. So when we started this campaign, there were lots of campaigns going on. One of them for the municipal election, one of them for uh, putting women uh, working in, in shops, which we don't have women's stuff shops. So there were so many campaigns at the time. There is a campaign for creating, uh, uh, codifying uh, family law, which is a personal status law that would protect women and children in the country. So we're all campaigning. For me, I, I did the driving, but what happened with the, all the, the attention that we get from the media, whether locally or globally, international, there was very, uh, and we learned lots of lessons, like how, how to get our voice heard, how to inspire, how to call for action. So other people were campaigning for five years or six years. Uh, we were trying to now unite all these women, because in Saudi Arabia, we don't have social society organizations. We don't have parliament, we don't have uh, parties, we don't have organizations that could uh, support women, women's rights. We don't have these things. So we started creating our own virtual community where we bring all these activists together and then trying to meet in real life and trying to teach each, each other. So we brought a woman from November 6, 1990 who, had, who drove that, their life being stripped away from them until the, this moment those women, 47 women. We, we, we succeeded to bring those who were still active, they still believe through all the pain they went through, we could bring them and we could bring other uh, campaigners. Um, so the, the good thing, we created this virtual society and or support system and learning from each other and then meeting each other in real life. Uh, that, make, that made a huge difference. So we're using the tools, the lessons that we learned in Women to Drive to go and call because it was a spontaneous thing, it was a personal thing. But now we're going for full citizenship. We're calling for two things. We're part of the whole movement that's happening in Saudi Arabia that's led by youth and social media to call for having uh, civil society organizations, uh, elected parliament. We're calling for these things because this is hum basic human rights. And if you are not, like, if you're just calling for women rights alone and the human rights there with big question mark and doesn't exist, you're not going to succeed. Once the, the people get their human rights, basic human rights in the country, this will follow. This will be part of it. You cannot separate them. You cannot disconnect them. That's why we have men more enthusiastic and this thing more than us women. This is amazing. But we ask them to stop and we say, you've been talking on our behalf all these years. It's time that women talk on their behalf. We don't want men because if you have 
something painful, let's say a, a wound. And no matter how much you explain to the other one, to the other person, how, how it hurts, how painful it is, you never understand because it's your own wound. So when women started talking in the media, uh, most of the women that we campaign with, they can't use their real names. They can't come in the, in, the, in the media with their face because still the society puts restraints on that. So we are faced even with getting women speak up. So they only use, like, they write, blog, or uh, just the voice. We're trying to get women to go out with their face, real names, and voice, not only voice, because this is me, this is my identity. And that's also one of the things that we're gaining. Uh, we've been suffering in silence all these years. You have no clue when we open the door to listen to those women, how many things came to the surface that we never thought of. It just came. Women are living as minors until the day they die. Uh, I've, been, I've, been go- I've been through divorce. I've been through uh, so much hard time in my life just because I've been treated like a minor. I need a man to sign every single paper I want. I, I need to work, to leave the country, to get my official papers, to open a bank account, to do anything in my life. I need his permission, as if I don't exist. Um, but when I make a mistake, I've been punished twice, the man. So I'm not responsible for my actions. But if I make a mistake, I'll be punished really harsh, in a harsh way. Um, so we started realizing this. I think it's kind of you were in a coma and you wake up. I heard this a lot. They say, Manal, when they arrested you, it was like a walking call for us. And this is the first time women come together and realize we have a problem. And the realization is the one uh, the, or the most important thing that you realize you have a problem before you go and look for solutions. We do make lots of mistakes uh, because we're, not, we're new to this. We're not trained. We don't know how to run a campaign. Uh, we try so many things. We're slow because we are uh, scattered all around the globe, not only all around Saudi Arabia. But we made sure that we are all Saudi, and we made sure that women speak up, and we made sure that we don't get uh, sponsorship from anyone. So no one, uh, we call it stay clean, because they would come back to you and say, this organization helped you. This organization uh, gave you money to do this video or to run this campaign. We stayed away from all these things because government, when they come, they will find very clean file. They can't have any mistake on us to bring us down using that mistake. The, good, the other good thing, we're trying to talk to the officials. We're still not organized. There is no one organization there. Uh, we took the CEDAW, which is the convention on the, uh, the convention of um, eliminating all forms of uh, uh, discrimination against women. Saudi Arabia signed that. This is a very interesting thing in 2002. I'm sorry, say that again. Because my voice okay, so Sudao, uh, we are taking now Sudao, which is a convention on the elimination of all forms of discrimination against women. Saudi Arabia signed that in 2002. They're not abiding by that law or that convention. What are we doing? Uh, every three years, they have to send a report back to Sudao committee to see if they are fulfilling all the requirements to be, because they already signed it. We're, we're using that uh, in the campaign to uh, 
you signed this convention. Now it's time to show that you are following it. While they've been, we, we laugh at this, we, uh, women in Saudi Arabia, we say last year they've been fighting bad not to be able to stop women from uh, being behind the driving wheel. Uh, not the driving wheel, it's, is this a driving wheel? I'm just behind the wheel. Mm-hmm. Behind the wheel. So last year they've been fighting us badly not to drive while we were gaining lots and lots of things. For six years, women have been campaigning to stop men from sitting in the lingerie shops and women uh, stuff shops. King Abdullah in June, he signs a decree. That was, for, for me, as personal, I didn't like it because King Abdullah, he had to be. We have to save the decrees, those royal decrees for, for things that are vital, for things that are huge, big. Now, who sells me my lingerie or my underwear? I didn't like that. But it was a very clear sign that they tried everything for the last six years. didn't work. So what are they going to do? Decree and enforce it. And now, for the first time in the, in the history of Saudi Arabia, you find women in shops, selling, salespersons. Uh, that was like a dream six years ago. While they were fighting us for uh, driving, King Abdullah, September 25, said women will be part of the shura, which is a, 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 a council, council, it's consultation council, which is like parliament, but it's appointed parliament by King Abdullah. He said women will be part of that. And he said women will vote and stand for election in the municipal election. That was September 25. So the religious people backlash at us using driving again. They called me that day, September 25. They threatened me to stop uh, tweeting or uh, uh, that was the governor's office in the eastern province called me that day and they said anything you put in your Facebook on your Twitter you're only to be blamed if anything bad happened to you after that because we're monitoring you he said and the same day they called uh, Najla Hariri the first woman who drove to investigation to interrogation and they interrogated with her and they said we're going to send you to a trial in a month for driving and for being part of Women to Drive campaign. Two days later, Shayma Justinia being uh, sentenced in lashes for driving her car. So three things happened that, that same day and same week. We knew it was, it was like religious people and the government and us been there, uh, all in conflicts. Later, they announced that women can be part of Olympics. So the first time a woman, a side woman, uh, carried the torch will be Rima Abdullah in London 2012 Olympics. For us, we're not being able even to have gyms in Saudi Arabia for women. So I can't just go to a gym. There's no, there are no gyms in Saudi Arabia for women. If you open them, you call them health center, and it's part of a salon, but not a gym. No physical activity of any type in schools, from first grade to college and now they're putting that curriculum that putting a part of the education system for women in the schools this was like a dream to us to have like with a country with the highest obesity rate in the whole world and the diabetes they are 70% of women are diabetic um, this is like was for us I keep fighting or driving and we're getting lots of things Talk really quickly about maybe just to say in like one or two sentences 
how driving actually is symbolic for so many yes. other. Yes. So if you walk, the first thing you will notice when you come to Saudi Arabia as someone coming from outside who doesn't live the daily struggle of women, he doesn't understand, doesn't go through that. Two things. Everyone is wearing abaya, black thing, covering their faces, no face. Uh, half of the society wearing abaya. The other thing, women not driving. So these are the two obvious things. Breaking the, the taboo of driving was more into breaking the taboo of uh, me as a woman being treated differently, me as a woman being stripped away from my rights. So if I'm fighting all this, these fights for a basic right, for us it's just a symbolic right. If you get that, you build up on it. Women are so afraid to just talk about it. You can ask them, and deep inside she wants to have that, but she will tell you no. Just because she doesn't want to be judged, she doesn't want to be threatened or harassed. Breaking that, it's, we call it this uh, wall of fear. And, and this will help because you're now independent. You have the, like empowering women starts with making them independent. How to make her independent? You, you educate her and you give her a job. 5.5 million of women are supposed to be in the workforce. They are uh, capable to be part of the workforce. Only half million are in the workforce. You're talking about 89% of women with no jobs in the country. And you're talking about 60% to 70% of higher education, college graduates are women. So you're spending all this money on educating women. When they graduate, there are no jobs for them because they're bound to, to, to work only in two jobs, a teacher or a doctor, or a, a nurse and a pharmacist. They don't even issue a license for engineers. Uh, for, uh, you, don't, you cannot have a license to be a lawyer, for example. They will only give you two licenses uh, for a pharmacist and doctor. So mentioning all these things, even if you give her a job, she will go through so much struggle. Uh, they made this survey. Uh, if they help you find a job uh, in, a, in like a woman clothes shop, would you take it or not? They ask these questions. Most women answer they can't take the job because of transportation. Because there is, they will pay one-third to two-thirds of their salaries to, for transportation. And that's only to do the job and come back, to her work and come back. That's it. Not to her other, uh, uh, when she needs to go shop or when she needs to go to hospital Manon, or anything. Can you talk a little bit about this concept of fear? So you, did you hear what Marianne was saying? That, you know, um, it's fear that is sort of driving women? In, in in Egypt to to stay vigilant and to, and to get organized and that that even though fear is a negative thing it's actually a positive thing because it's igniting women to stay focused on the fact that their voices need to be heard can you talk about that in Saudi Arabia about how fear obviously is I mean is fear the thing that's holding women back obviously from I mean, driving because there is no law but it's culture okay so is it sort of this fear and stigma that something bad is going to happen if, if and then is fear a positive thing because yeah. it can be used in a I can talk all night about fear so maybe one of the things that holds holds back women inside Arabia from taking an action is fear uh, 
there is a, this famous saying to Najib Mahfouz. Uh, he said, he's a famous uh, Arab novelist. He says, fear doesn't prevent you from uh, death. It prevents you from living. And fear is not going to prevent us from being hurt, but it's preventing us from living a normal life. Uh, in uh, Saudi Arabia, the society is very complicated. It's a tribal uh, our society is a tribal society. That means you are not by yourself. You are not. You don't represent yourself. You represent your whole tribe, and you can imagine the pressure that comes to those women from their tribes. It starts from their mother, father, because they've been brainwashed for thirty years. That you, the fear, the we've been always when we were kids, when we speak up and when you ask questions like why we can't have this, why this is wrong, or wouldn't criticize, they always ask you to just hush, don't talk, walls have ears. This is mom and dad. We've been always brought up like this. And people are afraid to discuss things like we don't have basic things, basic awareness about political rights, social rights, our rights as humans. We don't know these things. So you've been living in, in, in the dark all these years and suddenly you're finding out something is wrong, why I'm struggling so much. There's something wrong about this. And you start questioning. Uh, if you heard about uh, King Khalid University last month, there was this huge protest, 7,000 girls, college students, 7,000. They protested in the campus of the university. They were wearing their abayas and they took a video and they put it on Facebook because people who will say they're liars. There was the, the, there was the biggest protest that happened in the history of Saudi Arabia. And it was started by girls, by women, in their 18 years to 22 years that age they're really young but they were uh, they were fed up with the treatment there they were fed up with the system they were fed up with the it was like two weeks no one cleaned the canvas they just asked for basic things they wanted seats in the canvas to sit on to sit on in their breaks and those girls the 7,000 girls who protested they disclosed one of the biggest uh, corrupted or corruption uh, uh, group there starting from the president of the university uh, it's been going for 13 years for 13 years and that protest that started by women or by girls disclosed that the government were in a huge shock they kept it very quiet they didn't respond right away by uh, uh, firing the president because they do want people to realize that for your rights you have to go and ask for them they do want that so I uh, talk with the girls like what happened like a month passed what are the actions that have been taken and they tell me you have no clue those 7,000 girls they're in so much fear now uh, one was killed like the authorities or the security authorities went inside the campus and this is a big no-no don't go inside the women campus. 15 were injured, sent to hospital, 53. Uh, one woman dis- discouraged, uh, and another girl, she died. A month later, I'm asking, what are you doing about it? And she said, girls are in so much fear. They wanted to start unions. We don't have unions in Saudi Arabia, and that's the answer for protecting their rights as students. And she said, we started thousands, and then we ended up to like 20 girls. And she said, I'm all by myself now with few girls. They don't want to speak up. They don't want to go. Because their families put so much pressure on them. 
to just stop talking, to shut up. Can you tell me, you said when we were in Cairo together, you said that um, women had no voice in Saudi Arabia and that social media, you know, kind of offered this cloak of anonymity. And so in a society where women, women's name is a disgrace. Uh, mom calls me with my brother's name in, the pub, in a public place. So men didn't know this is my name. So you've been brought up that even your name is a disgrace, your voice is aura. Aura means also disgrace. Uh, your face is aura, disgrace. So you have to cover your face. You, you, you don't use your voice. And people don't call your name. And if you have a kid, they call you with your son's name. Not so If you have a daughter and, and son, they will always call you with their son's name, even if he's the youngest in the house. So all these things, being around women, uh, they can't speak up. And we don't have any organization that represents us. No one in the government, not a single person from the ministers or in the Shura Council is a woman. Social media created this uh, kind of anonymity. So you can. Uh, social media. Anonymity? Uh, anonymity. Anonymity, yes. So shows, social media created for us women in Saudi Arabia anonymity. That means you can go there, speak up your mind. Talk about your struggle. Talk about your fear. Talk about your things you go through, without being uh, pressured by the family, without being judged by the society. You just go online and speak up your mind, and you find more and more women uh, showing up online, speaking up their mind. The way that I read, and I'm like, wow, such courageous women. The way that men themselves now they say we should hire women to fight for our rights. Because women are now more courageous than men. Why? Because they are more oppressed in a society that everyone almost repressed. Uh, and Facebook, Twitter, and YouTube. YouTube, maybe we can just go and videotape ourselves and talk. It was, like what I did was really outrageous to the society. But they can still create the videos. One of the women, she, uh, she it has one million views, this video. Very interesting. Khalwa is something against religion. Khalwa means me and a man in the same place alone. We call it khalwa. So she took a video and she said, I'm videotaping my khalwa with my driver. I got one million views, that video. It was simple. She just, she didn't take a video of herself. She just took her daily trip, the one hour trip with her driver. She just took part of it. And he was like playing songs in the video. In the, Indian songs, and it was just like, this is what I go through every day. I can't drive my own car by myself. Uh, so we don't know the name of the woman. We just know what the struggle she goes through. Another woman, she was just walking in the street, and she was videotaping the har- harassment and the hassle she goes through. In Ramadan, she was fasting, and she was walking for like an hour under the sun. It's really hot in August in Saudi Arabia to just find a taxi. And she said, this is the queen, because they call us... We do this to protect you. You're a queen. So she's like, this is a diary of a Saudi queen. And we loved even the sense of humor. We're trying to create our own, our own uh, uh, YouTube channel. Uh, we've been meeting and talking to people who've been on YouTube. We have so many channels that are uh, by men only. By, uh, but there are not a single one that women is making or talking about women or women is presenting. So we're trying to create the first one now and we're very close to that. Really quickly, and then I don't know if Marvin you have other questions. Um, I think just really about the network, the power of being inspired by others 
maybe you could talk specifically about things watching other women online or whatnot, how that inspired you in other countries. Yes. And then, you know, when women will tell you that you inspired them, does that, you know, make you feel like you, when you're out there, you're not alone. You know, people are watching you, and then that, that makes you want to, to continue to speak out. Yeah, uh, about the... Okay. I think one of the hardest, hardest things you will go through when you are uh, calling for a right or when you are an activist is the emotional uh, stress that you go through because you're swimming against the current and you've been uh, punched, you've been kicked, you've been smeared, you've been going through all that. And then you go and read other women's stories online, like Tawakkul Karman's story. Uh, and you, you just read through, the, they went through the same exact thing you went, you're going through. And they're there, and people, when they look at them in their interviews, and like they see a strong woman, a confident woman, but you think there's lots of support behind it, but they don't know the, the real story, the pain, the, the tears, the, the stress that she goes through, the sacrifices that she have to put through putting her, her own safety uh, on the edge. They don't know these things. They just see a smiling face and a woman talking about her experience. But all the problems that she is going through at the back, they didn't see. When uh, we communicate with them in personal, like when we talk with each other, I get surprised by all the type of pressure and pain they go through, and they do inspire me. Uh, because they didn't stop, they continue, they're continuing. Um, I think uh, when I was in Change Your uh, Ward in Cairo, just being in the same place with all these women, it gave me, I think, it energized me and it charged me for the next maybe year, just being around those women, hearing their stories, not from the media, from them. Uh, what was it like to hear women talk about how you inspired them? Were you surprised that so many women you know, throughout the Middle East, but around the world, have been watching you, and what, what, how did that make you feel? About other women being inspired by me, I always, when people come to me and they say they are inspired, I just look at them, I'm like, I don't see anything that's, like, abnormal inspires them. It surprises me first, actually. And uh, I'm like, uh, when they come and talk to me and uh, how they think what, what I did was courageous and these things, I, I don't get it, really. Because when you are in the middle of something, you're just doing it because you believe in it. You didn't, you didn't see, you didn't see, you didn't see the danger you put yourself in. I never got it, even when I was in jail. I was there with my abaya, and everyone is asking me. I was taking care of the prisoners, like writing letters for them and helping them and getting them making phone calls with their families or translating. And everyone looking at me and like, could you just take care of yourself? Why do you care? I'm like, because I know I'm innocent. I'm going to leave. But I want to help this woman there. When you're in the middle of something, I, I, you don't see it, really. And when I read things in the news and I look, I'm like, really? It's, for me, I'm just a normal person. I'm a mother. And I'm trying to take care of myself. And I'm trying to, instead of sitting and complaining, as I've been doing, that brought me depress depression. I'm taking an action, and that really changed my life. With all the struggle I have to go through, I'm very positive now because I can see I can make change. So what's next for you? Uh, so as I told you, we're trying to build organization for women inside Arabia. 
and we're gonna use SIDAO. And in this organization, uh, we want, we have like uh, a mission, a vision, uh, common values, because we're totally different from each other. Religious people, liberal people, you find all kinds of women in that group, and all kind of, all, all uh, ages, all group of ages. And that group, what brings us together is the goal. Our values are the same, our goals are the same. So we're all in this together. So the next step is this, this, group, this group of women, we want uh, to create change through organized action. We've been like random, we've been uh, trial, mistake, learn the lesson, change the strategy. We've been doing this for the last year. Now it's more into educating these women, sending them to courses on leadership and how to run a campaign, uh, educating them on, on SIDAO, educating them on, on uh, their basic laws, uh, the, uh, rights, the rights, uh, and creating action plan, having a task force working on that action plan instead of individual acts that we've been doing in Saudi Arabia. Everyone is like they have their own effort. When you bring all these women together and they are organized and they meet uh, periodically, we try to, I flew to Riyadh to meet those women. I flew to Jeddah to meet them. When I come to Dubai, first thing I do, I meet the Saudi activists here and we sit together and we talk. Uh, so that's the most challenging thing. We know we can, we'll not create the change for our generation, but we're, we're, we're planting the seeds for the next generation. I have on my Twitter, I've been, I've been attacked a lot about this, uh, my profile uh, says, statement I say, is because my mother couldn't change my, my past, I decided to change my daughter's future. Uh, uh, because my mother couldn't change my present, I decided to change my daughter's future. That means, not because my mother, because I don't have a daughter, that means we women, the previous, the generation before us, they didn't create change for us. They didn't do anything for us. So it's our responsibility now to create the change for the next generation because when they come back and they look back, they say, why didn't you, when you had the chance, why didn't you fought for our rights? So we believe that whatever we're doing now will be for the next generation.